Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 79. The Brewers hit the All-Star break one game back of the Reds for first place in the NL Central. Massive series win for the crew over Cincy over the weekend. They are 5-2 and two now against the Reds this year. We'll break all of that down, get you set for the All-Star break, home run derby, and then coming out of the All-Star break starting on Friday, the Brewers start a 15-game stretch that probably legitimately makes or breaks their year and determines whether they're buyers or sellers when the deadline hits at the end of that 15-game stretch. NBA Summer League in action, Bucks are 2-0, and and Adrian Griffin is actually coaching the Summer League team. A lot of head coaches take the summer off, but he is in Vegas. Good showing so far from Marjan Bochamp. We'll talk about that, too. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's high! The yes. Win. Yes. Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Wisconsin, record-breaking run. Morgan, a smash up the middle, face hit the center, here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win. Here's the snap, he looks, he throws, it's a interception, and there is your Super Bowl Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in, backed away and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul, and a pinnacle ball throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there, and they're the champions. They have done it. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are in. Yeah, Wade Miley pitched a hell of a game on Sunday, and it was a pitcher's duel, a one to nothing win. We're going to talk more about the entire series here coming up, but Sunday's game ends in a tidy two hours and six minutes, the fastest game at AmFam Field since, I guess, a Dodger game in 2006 that also ended in two hours and six minutes. It seems unfathomable in the non-pitch clock era that a game would end in two hours and six minutes. That must have been a Ben Sheets game. Had to be. Ben Sheets, not only did he throw strikes when he was healthy most of the time, he was also a get-it-and-go guy. Ben Sheets is one of those pitchers who did not pitch in the pitch clock era who would have been totally unaffected by the pitch clock. That was a concern coming into the year for some pitchers and some teams where pitchers rely on wandering around the mound and stepping off and checking a runner back and then checking him back again and then checking him back again and then looking to the sky and then grabbing their hat and then checking the runner back again and then stepping off. Ben was never one of those pitchers. Ben Sheets was a get-it-and-go guy. And you knew that if you went to Brewer games, too, because if you were going to a game where Ben Sheets was pitching, it was kind of like a preview of the pitch clock era. You kind of had to hustle to get in, and you knew if you left your seat, you might miss half an inning or a full inning when Ben Sheets was on the mound. Had to be a Sheets one nothing type game. I have to go back and look at what that was in 2006. But it goes very quickly on Sunday, and I had a texter on B93's text line this morning saying that they went to the game And then the texter said, dot, 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 two-hour game, John. And I followed up on the air and said, did you like it or not? That texter then said, yeah, they did. And I got another text in just as a part of that discussion that said, love the pitch clock for TV, hate it at games because my family loves to tailgate. Yeah, we've reached the first half of the first season of the pitch clock. And I think when you look back at the first half, it's been an overall win all the way around. I don't know that anybody disputes it's a win on TV or radio. If that's how you follow the games for your team, I don't know that there's too many people out there. There's always going to be some. 
but I don't know that there's too many people that I've heard takes from that say, I don't like the pitch clock just in general. Most baseball fans just consuming it on TV or radio have enjoyed the pitch clock. It has hustled things up. It doesn't have a dramatic impact on the game. It doesn't look like they're rushing. It fits perfectly. They found the perfect amount of time to make the pitch clock. It just works out. It doesn't feel rushed on TV, and you're done with most games now in two and a half hours or 240 or something like that. Pretty rare are the three-hour games now. The only thing that I could see people not liking about it, and we talked about this when the season began, is in person. And I said, either on a podcast or on the air, my wife and I have been to four games this year, and the first game was the game where I thought, okay, let's see how I enjoy the pitch clock being at the game. Because when you're at the game... There's other stuff to do. It's hopefully nice weather. You're kind of wandering around and checking out all the new food locations and going to get a beer and standing in line, standing in line to go to the bathroom, walking around the concourse, the pro shop, whatever. There's a lot of stuff that you can do when you're at AmFam Field or any baseball game. But in the pitch clock era, you could end up missing a lot if you go to wander around after the third inning or after the second inning and you just go to get food and go to the bathroom. You might miss a couple innings. I was wondering how I would enjoy it in person, and I like it in person too. And we've been to multiple games now. I have no problem with it. But I didn't think of that texter and that perspective of it. If you have a family or you have friends and you love to tailgate – that maybe does have more of an impact in the pitch clock era. I'm not a tailgater. <laughs> I know it's tailgate culture. I know that's heresy in Brewer fandom because that's such a big part of Brewer baseball and baseball culture in Milwaukee. The whole stadium is built with tailgating in mind. And if you have somebody visit from another park, you know, we try to make a bunch of other stadiums as many as we can, and you try to do what the locals do. What are the go-to things, like wandering around Wrigleyville or whatever? What do you What do you do? What do the hometown teams do to pregame or postgame? You try to do that when you visit another stadium. And if people come to Milwaukee, they almost always want to tailgate because they've heard so much about this tailgating and how epic it is in Milwaukee. I remember I had some buddies that, that used to go to opening day all the time. We would go to every opening day, and we'd tailgate. And that's about the only time I would tailgate, maybe once in a great while. But as I've gotten older, the whole concept of tailgating, it's fun on paper, but the actual packing, all right, let's get the, we got to get our camper chairs, got to get a tent maybe if it's really hot outside, pack up the grill, make sure you have the charcoal. You always forget something. You always forget something. Oh, we forgot the lighter. All right, well, let's walk down here and see if we can borrow somebody's lighter. Oh, we forgot the charcoal or whatever you're using to cook. You pack everything up, the table, the chips, the dip. You go an hour and a half before the game. You park. You're sitting in the sun. You set things up. You get the bags going. It takes about 20 minutes to get things set up. Then you're finally set to start grilling. I don't know. It just doesn't have a massive appeal to me. I don't mind if I know somebody that's tailgating. That's the perfect scenario. If we go to a game and I think, oh, my buddy Doug's tailgating. All right, I'll hit him up when we get to the parking lot. I go over there for 10 or 15 minutes, have a beer, throw some bags, grab a brat throw some money at him or something, and then I'm on my way. You get a little taste of the tailgating without actually having to plan and execute a tailgate. It's just never been my thing. But if it is your thing, and that's something you love to do at Miller Park or at AmFam Field, I would imagine the pitch clock era has been interesting to go against because gone are the days, if you want to see the game, of lollygagging outside at a tailgate until the second or third inning and wandering in. If you do that, you may only be in the park for 45 minutes at this rate, especially on a game like Sundays. 
I had not considered that perspective just because I don't tailgate as much as I used to maybe in my late teens or early 20s. And even then, it wasn't something that I was dying to do. But if you are someone that does it and your family does it or your friends or your regular get-together groups that go to games, they all do that, then, yeah, that's probably been interesting to deal with in the pitch clock era. Didn't consider the whole tailgating component there of wandering in the fourth inning. Then <laughs> you sit down for half an hour and the game's over. Okay, Brewers and Reds wrapping up a three-game set on Sunday. Friday's game, they hang on. Somebody finally in the league got to the young lefty for the Reds, Andrew Abbott. He had been basically untouched before Friday. His ERA was 1.3. He had beaten the Brewers already this season. They get to him early. They get a lead. Have to hang on late because nothing can be easy. They had so many chances to expand that lead on Friday. What was it? Eventually, they were up 7-1 to or 7-2. to And then they tried to do something we talked about on Friday's podcast. They tried to use Tyson Miller. One of the lesser-known bullpen guys. Maybe they just called him up. He's one of those guys that's been up and down a bit this year. But with a five-run lead in the ninth inning or eighth inning, you think, okay, we can buy some of the high-leverage arms some rest here and hopefully get to the finish line with Tyson Miller. Nope. Started walking guys in the ninth inning. Then eventually, I want to say the tying run was on deck. You had to go to Devin Williams. And Devin comes in there and gets the final two outs. One of those situations, though, where you were trying to avoid using the guys that it feels like you've had to use almost every game this year. Couldn't get it done, but got the win, a win they needed to start the series off on the right foot. Then Saturday will forever be the Ellie De La Cruz game. Ellie De La Cruz, one of the top prospects in baseball. The Reds called him up about a month ago. At shortstop, so far he has been as advertised, not only talented at the plate and in the field, but he's got the charisma, he's a little over the top with the celebrations, whatever. Baseball needs that. Baseball needs some fun injections from time to time, and he seems to be that kind of a player. He's a joy to watch. But when he's playing the Brewers, it's going to be tough now for at least six or seven years. He is going to torment Brewers fans and the team. You can just tell he's going to be one of those guys. Brewers had a 4-1 to lead on Saturday. Slowly that went away. That Reds offense is pretty potent. And then the inning that will always be remembered on Saturday was Ellie De La Cruz getting on base, stealing second, then stealing third. And then as the ball was thrown back to Elvis Peguero, who was on the mound, Peguero had his back turned to De La Cruz at third base and was kind of sauntering back to the mound. And De La Cruz just heads up, kept on creeping down the line to see if Piguero would notice him. And by the time he got halfway, he just bolted. At that point, Brian Anderson at third base is saying, hey, hey, he's making a break for it. I think Contreras eventually picks up on it too and yells for Piguero that he's stealing home. And by the time Piguero turned around, he had to throw an off-balance throw. It wasn't even close, and De La Cruz stole home. All on two pitches. Stole second, stole third, and stole home during the course of a total of two pitches. That put the Brewers down, what, 7-5. to five. Eventually, the Reds add another one, and the Brewers don't rally on Saturday. Disappointing game because they had the lead, and we've talked about when they score four runs or more and have a lead, it's a win almost 85% of the time, not on Saturday. That led to Sunday, Wade Miley. I mean, Wade. Wade Miley. The Brewers didn't do much in the offseason. They didn't spend a ton of money. They made the big trade to bring in Contreras, but now Piamps becomes almost as big a part of that story as anything. Contreras has been fabulous, but Piamps, he's a borderline all-star that they got in that deal too. Beyond that, they didn't do a whole lot. They didn't spend a whole lot of money. One player they did spend a little bit of money on, and I mean a little, $4 million deal, one-year deal, was to bring back Wade Miley, who was so good for the Brewers in 2018. He battled injuries that year. That's been a part of his entire career. He was in Chicago for one year last year, battled injuries there, only made nine starts, only pitched, I want to say, 40 or 50 innings. 
comes back to Milwaukee. He did have a little injury issue where he was out for two weeks or two and a half weeks, missed a couple of turns. Beyond that, though, I don't know that you could ask much more of this guy. He goes out there against one of the best offenses in baseball and throws six shutout innings with eight strikeouts. And he's not a strikeout guy. And on an afternoon where the Brewers only got one run, it came in the first inning. Christian Yelich double, stay hot, Yelly, nine-game hitting streak. Jesse Winker hit him home. We're going to talk more about Jesse Winker in just a second. Winker got the RBI to bring him home in the first inning. That was it, though. You needed that kind of an effort from Wade Miley, given that the Brewer offense was in shackles all day, too. And then the bullpen, the high-leverage guys, again, had to use them. Piguero in the seventh, Piamps in the eighth, and Williams in the ninth. They get it done. Don't allow a hit. Don't issue a walk. Six strikeouts combined. Take it to the finish line. Save number 24, Devin. And the Brewers win one to nothing. They take the series. Massive series to take. We talked about it before the series began. The six games with the three heading into the All-Star break against the Reds and the three coming out of the All-Star break in Cincy against the Reds, those are big. The larger picture coming out of the All-Star break, which we'll get to in a minute, is the 15-game stretch after the All-Star break. This is a good start, though. You take two out of three. You make up a game. They're sitting at 49-42 and overall and are a game back of the Reds for first place. And as we discussed on Friday, what day is today? Monday? On Friday... The wild card is not a far-fetched idea anymore. For the first couple of months of the year, the NL Central leader was four or five games back in the wild card, but right now the Brewers are a half game back of the Giants, and the Phillies are right there. As always now with three wild card teams, there are a ton of teams in it. Brewers are a game back of the division and half game back of the wild card as they enter the All-Star break. Yelly had the double. That was big on Sunday. Contreras had two more hits. He is heating up, hitting 262. He has a hit in every game in the month of July as well, batting well over 300 in the month of July. Willie had a good series. It's unfortunate the two-home run game for Willie came on Saturday. He has seen the batting average, which was at 197 in the span of a week and a half. That's up to 213. Again, the optics not great, but that's a pretty big jump at this stage of the year. Given how the at-bats have accumulated, it's hard to raise a batting average, even one that low. It's hard to bring it up 15 to 20 points in the span of 10 days or 11 days. He was able to do that, and Owen Miller got on base three times, a couple of walks, and a hit as he played first base again on Sunday. This is how you wanted to start it, though. This is how you wanted to start that stretch heading into the All-Star break, knocking on the door now, the NL Central lead again with that one-game deficit heading into All-Star week. Coming back from All-Star weekend, I looked at this this morning. I knew, and we have talked about the three against Cincy before the break, three against Cincy after the break. This 15-game stretch will determine what's going to happen with the Brewers, and we can maybe talk more about this on Friday, too. You look at the schedule. You're at Cincy Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Then you're at Philly, who right now you're kind of battling with for a wild card spot. They are either a half game in front of or tied for a half game behind the Giants with the Brewers at seven games over. You've got that then. Six-game road trip out of the All-Star break. Three in Cincy, three in Philly. You come home and take on the best team in baseball. The Atlanta Braves, 60 wins. They have surpassed Tampa as the best record in baseball. Won the World Series a couple of years ago. They are loaded with talent both in the field and on their pitching staff and in their bullpen. They come to AmFam Field for three. You've got the Reds again right away after that for three after three at home against Atlanta. Then you're in Atlanta for three. At Cincy for three. At Philly for three. At home against Atlanta for three. At home against Cincy for three. Then at Atlanta on July 28th, 29th, and 30th. The end of that 15-game stretch bumps right up against the trade deadline. It is going to be one of those make-or-break stretches for the Brewers and determine kind of what they're going to be 
at the trade deadline. Now, they did just end a 17-game stretch of games in a row without a day off at 11-6. and six. That's encouraging that this is going to be, out of the All-Star break, one of those runs where if you can make it a winning 15-game stretch, then you are certainly buyers at the deadline. Even if you can navigate a 7-8 and eight or 8-7 eight and seven stretch there or, you know... <laughs> You don't want to lowball too much, but if you go six and nine, is that the end of the world given the strength of schedule and the teams you're playing? Probably not. That probably still puts you in a buyer category. What they have to avoid, and they're not thinking like this, but as a fan, you think like this. What they have to avoid in that 15-game stretch is losing 12 of 15 or 11 of 15 or something like that. That would submarine them and really throw into question what they're going to do at the deadline. That 15-game run, though, will decide their year coming out of the All-Star break. When you look at the roster construction out of the All-Star break, my feeling is you've got to look at some things during this break, and you know they are. Number one to me is Jesse Winker at DH. I think people like Jesse Winker as a guy. He's got a lot of fun stories, the beads he wears in honor of his daughter. I mean, there's so much to like about him. He seems like a good clubhouse guy. He had the only RBI on Sunday. But Jesse Winker is hitting 203 with one home run as your DH. And as we talked about on Friday, you've got guys out there that you could maybe go and get. Nelson Cruz, who has not had a great year to the point where he was cut from San Diego, he's hitting 243 with five home runs. Would you rather have 203 with one or 243 with five home runs? There are guys out there that you can probably pick up without having to give up anything and give them a shot at DH that could give you more. You have to be mindful of the locker room, especially given what happened with Hader last year. I'm not saying Jesse Winker is on the level of Josh Hader. Clearly, Hader is an elite closer, a three-time reliever of the year winner. He was on his way to probably another, if he could have, if he would have gotten the ship corrected in Milwaukee the way he did in San Diego in mid-August through the end of the year, he could have been in the running for another reliever of the year. Winker is not that caliber of player. You do have to really think, though, about how things are going to ripple in the locker room depending on the moves that you make. Winker is a liked guy. At some point, production has to outweigh that. That is something I feel like they have to look at during the All-Star break and see if they can improve. We've talked about first base. Rowdy thinks he's going to be back right after the All-Star break. Give him a chance to get hot. Give him some at-bats. I still feel like Keston's a guy you want to try. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. We talked on Friday that maybe after the All-Star break, you call him up given his numbers at AAA. You give him three weeks of solid at-bats or three and a half weeks of at-bats where he's regularly in the lineup. See if he can hack it literally and figuratively. And if he can't, maybe you try Rowdy again or maybe you acquire somebody at the deadline. It doesn't appear to me as though Keston's going to get a shot to do that. But you have to look now at Rowdy Telez when he gets back. If he gets a week or two where he's just still not hitting the ball well, that's a place that you could maybe improve. And third base, you thought Luis Arias was going to be your third baseman. That just hasn't worked out. Hamstring injury, opening weekend, came back, never looked in shape, never looked healthy. He's back at the AAA level. Brian Anderson has been great defensively. I know we talked about the low throw against the Cubs during this homestand, but beyond that, he has been about perfect defensively, making regular routine plays and making spectacular plays. Love his defense. The bat was hot early. It has not come around. He's hitting 230. There are parts of this team where they're really going to have to examine, are there ways we can get more offense out of this? And as we talked about on Friday, They've got to be on the lookout for a bullpen arm. Peguero's been really good outside of the, what was the phrasing back in that World Series in the early 1900s, the Merkel boner. Outside of the Peguero boner, allowing Ellie De La Cruz to steal home, not paying attention, he's been fantastic. Piamps has been as solid as anybody. Arguably the best arm in the pen. Arguably. 
Yoel Piams. And Devin's been really good, too. ERA sub-2, 20 of 22 on saves. They're using them so much, though. We talked about that on Friday. It's not sustainable. They're going to have to be on the lookout for ways to either acquire an arm or add an arm. One of the solutions there could be Abner Uribe. That was the silver lining on Saturday. Top pitching prospect in the organization or one of the top pitching prospects in the organization. Abner Uribe made his debut. He has a little Ellie De La Cruz to him where he's got some charisma. He's exciting. And he throws 100-plus miles per hour like it was nothing, <laughs> like it was yawning. It's amazing the ease with which he throws 100-plus miles per hour. He's not a big guy, but he's a long guy, long limbs, long fingers to wrap around the baseball. And he was chucking it in there on Saturday, 100, 101, 102, vicious slider. He went two innings, gave up one run. I think he didn't think he was going out for a second inning. He got out of that first inning scoreless. He did his signature little pistol move into his back pocket as he was on his way out after a strikeout. And they said on the broadcast that Council and the rest of the coaches had to go to him and say, hey, not too much celebrating right now. You may have to go back out there depending on what happens this inning. And he did go back out there. And you could tell the focus was lacking maybe a little bit that first at-bat when he was back out there. Mentally, it felt like he thought he was done for the day. He's an exciting young guy, and he's finally getting his chance. The video of him getting the call up to Major League Baseball, those are always fun, but he was crying, talking to his mom. It was a really emotional video when he finally got that Major League call. Maybe he's a guy. I'm sure they hope he is, and they're counting on him to maybe be a guy, but this team really has to be on the lookout for another solid bullpen arm or two if they're just going to insist on playing close games all the time. You can't just keep throwing Piguero, Piamps, and Williams out there. Uribe will be a part of that solution. Got to be on the lookout, though, for another arm that they can maybe get as they get ready for the second half to start on Friday. Speaking of the All-Star break, Devin's not going to pitch on Tuesday like we just talked about. I'm fine with that. Get these high-leverage arms as much rest as you can. It would have been his second straight appearance. He had a scoreless frame in the All-Star game last year. He will not be in Seattle on Tuesday. Corbin Burns gets an All-Star selection. I was a little surprised about that. He's been okay. He is 7-5. and five. His ERA is 3.94. He just got it under 4. This is probably a combination of... Needing an arm for the NL roster, a guy who won a Cy Young two years ago, a guy who finished top 10 Cy Young last year. The numbers aren't spectacular this year, but he knows what the expectations are, and he's a name that people are going to know. Corbin gets his third straight all-star selection. He will be there on Tuesday. We thought Yelly was going to get in. Again, nine-game hitting streak with a double on Sunday, and the run scored. His average is 284. His OPS is over 830, the highest it's been. Basically, everything he's got right now are the highest numbers he's had since that 2019 season. I thought with Corbin Carroll going down, and I have not seen anything about him pulling out, but I thought with the Diamondbacks outfielder Carroll going down that Yelly would be the guy who was going to slot in there. Doesn't look like that's going to happen unless something crazy happens today. After the game on Sunday, McAlvey and all the Brewer Beat reporters were talking to Yelly about it. He didn't seem too let down. He's been there, done that, I would imagine, and he said – Probably better to get four or five days of rest here and gear up for the second half, clear my head a little bit, and get myself ready for the second half. What a run he's been on since the beginning of May. Hit 284 in May, hit 320 in June, and has been fire flames in July, hitting almost 400 OPS over 1,000. It is nuts to look back at that 2018-2019 run. His OPS now is 832, which is really good. He had an OPS over 1,000 both of those years for the full year, at the end of the full year. 
gives you even greater appreciation to how good he was the MVP year of 2018 and what should have been had he not gotten hurt a second MVP in 2019 and back-to-back batting championships, OPS over 1,000 both years. He will not be there on Tuesday. What I do love coming up tonight and tomorrow, I love the All-Star game too. To me, the Major League Baseball All-Star game and all the festivities around it, that's the best All-Star game. I do love the NBA All-Star game. I more love NBA All-Star Saturday night where they do the dunk competition, even though that's really died off. The skills competition, the three-point shooting competition. I love that part of the NBA All-Star game. We all know the Pro Bowl is a joke. I don't really know much about the NHL. Major League Baseball All-Star game, to me, makes you feel like a kid again. It makes you feel like baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. Just a pure Americana. Home Run Derby tonight is a big part of that. Maybe an unpopular take. I miss this guy on the Home Run Derby calls. Way back, 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 back. Way back, way back, 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 back. I realize people got very irritated after year 25 or 30 of Chris Berman. Bark, 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 sounding like a duck. But then he left or retired or was not a part of it. And the first year he wasn't, I missed him. It's kind of like Budenholzer for the Bucks. Everybody wanted Bud gone. 24 hours after Bud was fired, everybody unanimously said he has to get fired. 24 hours after that, we all missed him. We were all nostalgic for him. I felt that way about Berman. We got so tired of him doing the back, 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 back thing, and year one where he wasn't doing it, I thought, I kind of miss him. I kind of miss him being a part of it. Just Berman in the full suit, old school, just sweat and flop, swept everywhere, eating whatever signature food is there at the stadium that they're at for the All-Star game. Back, 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 back. It was it was good. Maybe they'll bring him back for a little bit tonight. Home run derbies tonight. Some of these names I'm not even really aware of. Pete Alonso is the favorite. He's won it before. Vlad Guerrero Jr., Julio Rodriguez, the youngster from Seattle. Adelis Garcia, is he Texas? Luis Robert Jr., Mookie Betts, we know. Randy Arozarena from Tampa. And then Adley Rushman, who I think is the young stud from Baltimore. They do the bracket format now, which I do like. And is this the one that's timed? It's no longer the outs that it used to be a long time ago. I just love it. I love the Derby. I love tuning it, turning it on. I feel like I'm 10 years old watching it. And I'll feel that way with the All-Star game tomorrow as well. Uh, we know Corbin will be a part of it. Tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Monday, Derby is 7 o'clock, and I believe the All-Star game first pitch is 7.30. Then a couple of days off, and as we said, a, an absolutely crucial 15-game stretch coming out of the All-Star break for the crew. In the NBA, just real quick, Summer League, Adrian Griffin is coaching for the Bucks. Not something you see happen typically where the head coach coaches the Summer League team. Marjan Bochamp is the guy most Bucks fans' eyes are on. What kind of improvements has he made? And he looks good. They're 2-0 through two games. He scored 20-plus points in both games. He's bigger. He's talked about that. He put on 8 to 10 pounds of muscle, which you do when you're 20 years old or 21 years old, and you're working out and you're eating the right foods and you're in the gym like he is. He spent a lot of time in Greece with Giannis, too, in the offseason. He just looks bigger. He looks thicker. He talked about that to the first game in Summer League where he felt like he wasn't getting knocked around as much or knocked off center as much. He was able to absorb contact more. That will be a big part of his development. Word from Milwaukee is that he is untouchable. When it comes to trade conversations, if they're going to try to bring in a Colin Sexton or they're going to try and track down some other backup point guard, if we're talking trades, the trades are 
primarily revolving around Grayson, around Connaughton, around Bobby. Marjan is one of the few young controllable assets they have, and because of that and his upside, it sounds like it's a non-starter. If you're on the other line trying to trade with the Bucks and you bring up Marjan Bochamp, it's a non-starter. He did show us some flashes last year. Then Bud didn't play him for long stretches. He had a couple of bad games. It could You could sort of tell it impacted his psyche a bit when he was back on the floor after a couple of weeks where he wasn't playing at all or was out of the rotation. It will be interesting to see how Coach Griffin uses him this upcoming year, and he's getting a first-hand look at what he can do by coaching the Summer League team. The youngster, Andre Jackson Jr., who they drafted in the early second round, he's been what we thought he was with the scouting report, not giving you a ton on offense in the half-court game. Excellent transition player, a couple of big dunks in transition, a couple of big blocks defensively. You love his wing defense. It's hard to get too excited. It's Summer League. Getting excited about Summer League performances, and not there's anything wrong with that. There are certainly flashes that I've liked from the highlights that I've seen on Twitter of Bucks players doing different stuff. But getting excited about Summer League highlights is kind of like when you get excited about a third or fourth string or fifth string wide receiver for the Packers when they put up good numbers in the fourth quarter of the second preseason game. You know? You're excited, and it's fun to maybe project them as being the 52nd or 53rd man on the roster, but you also have to keep in mind it's the fourth quarter of the second preseason game. What are the caliber of players on the field right now? How will that translate into playing against legitimate starters in the NFL? you got to just sort of temper it with what we've seen so far. 2-0 start. They have off today. They play again on Tuesday. Is it a five-game schedule? I'm pretty sure it's a five-game schedule for summer league action. Otherwise, not a lot, uh, anything of note happening for the Bucks. There are rumors of trades. They still have the one roster spot open. Is it going to go to Thanasis? We talked about that on Friday. Is it not going to go to Thanasis? Will they do a two-for-one, open up another roster spot? Then you can comfortably sign somebody and Thanasis to that next one-year deal. Not a lot of movement there. I would imagine there's not going to be a lot of movement until the summer league ends and we hit August and we get a little bit closer to training camp, but pretty quiet on the Bucks front beyond the 2-0 summer league start. That'll do it for us here on your Monday. We'll get back after it on Friday. I don't know what kind of content we're going to have on Friday. We'll recap the All-Star game. We will talk more about this 15-game stretch coming up for the Brewers. That's going to determine, in my opinion, what they do at the deadline and what direction the season goes. That'll start on Friday. We'll get you set up for that and that run. And we'll recap the other two Bucks Summer League games. Anything news or noteworthy coming out of that or any different trade conversations going on out there, we'll talk about that on Friday as well. Have a good work. We will chat with you then.